the theme for the evening talk is the foundations of awareness. I think one of the things that we sometimes uh, notice and become aware of that in the moments of appreciation there can be that uh, small voice of uh, real uh, concern that runs uh, with it as well. And that sometimes in acknowledging the warmth, the feelings which uh, arise to whatever it is, we also and equally have to attend to the voice of concern which might well accompany it. And what I've noticed uh, over the last few days here, and you may have done as well uh, yourself, that in the uh, frequency of uh, appreciation for the very warm, hot days that we are experiencing here, there can be the arising from within ourselves or from uh, another or others. Uh, what might it signify? What might it uh, mean in terms of global warming or uh, water short <coughs> shortage, the drying up of streams and uh, rivers, the consequences for the environment and for people <coughs> in the present and into the future. And it's not an unusual circumstance where this awareness of things, appreciation for them, carries as, as well um, another voice. Uh, from within. <coughs> and I remember working in the, uh, the forest and the, uh, giving uh, retreats and one of the uh, uh, green activists there telling me that he frequently visited and spent a great deal of time in forests, subtropical and subtropical uh, rainforests. And it was a place where he felt very much at home, loved to walk in the depths of that uh, greenery and um, beauty and that voice would arise in him, in him that every minute uh, an acre of forest is being destroyed and all the consequences of that. So appreciation and concern can easily uh, flow, flow together and one of the things which I noticed and just in myself is that uh, in the last um, two or three weeks on the clear night, one is able to see that remarkable comet uh, flying through the air with its stream and just the, the wonder of this uh, thing which we can sit and stand on this earth and, and look up at and witness. But I find, and probably as others do as well, that one <coughs> recalls uh, very recently the situation of that uh, cult in uh, California who were living in a very wealthy district of San Diego, <coughs> working on uh, uh, computers, and had this rather extraordinary belief system that in, at some point in the future when the comet would go, come by, they would have to leave this earth and join this waiting ship in the flow of, uh, of the comet. And the outcome uh, of such thinking and such 
identification with that uh, belief is that 39 members of this cult uh, religiously committed uh, uh, suicide, sent out videos to various uh, uh, people, and uh, the police came and each one of them was lying um, on his or her back on the floor or on a bed covered uh, with a, a sheet having made an announcement that they were just temporary visitors to their body uh, on this earth that under the direction of their leader they had to leave to return to their uh, spaceship flying in the wake of this comet. And there's no end to the depths of uh, belief and concern that one might have. And when I was uh, reading uh, reports, particularly of this uh, uh, cult and their, their views, one of the thoughts that arose in my mind, didn't anybody at any time ever speak to these people about what it means to be really grounded here and now? Didn't anybody ever communicate to these people what awareness and what the foundations of awareness are? And is it that all that they received in some religious teaching was a, what I would refer to as a rather bizarre cosmology of, uh, of alienation from life and identification with something far away from this world? No, the, the tragedy may not be for them in their willingness to take some uh, dose of poison and tranquilizers and uh, kill themselves. But what about their friends and their family, their mothers, their fathers, their children, the people that knew and loved them? And so sometimes we, we see with uh, human beings, uh, I sometimes think a strange species by any standard, that how easy we can latch onto things in life and actually lose something of, about being centred and grounded, about what real presence is in life and what can be discovered through genuine uh, presence there, and therefore that the here and now is a significant and important key. And if we can just keep faith and in touch uh, with that, maybe out of that will come a wisdom in, in life, and that we will never, ever get sucked in to uh, some of the dangers of political, religious, ideological <coughs> beliefs which sometimes seem to haunt this earth and cause so much pain and suffering for men, women, children and the very earth itself that we owe our life to. So, one of the foundations, again, of uh, awareness and uh, uh, practice, as I say, is giving clear and careful attention to the, the present moment and exploring that as clearly and, and as, with as much depth and uh, awareness as we possibly can. And one of the things in the, in the teachings which are clearly prevalent and, and frequently uh, stated in terms of the four foundations embrace two areas and both are equally as important. One is referred to as the inner oneself and the other is referred to as the outer and 
Therefore, bringing awareness to bear on existence requires of us to give care and attention to the inner, what's going on with our life, physically, emotionally, mentally, and outwardly, in terms of how we perceive what is around us through the vehicles that we have, namely eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and touch. These are the instruments, the doorways, in fact, for us to know the world and equally, as I say, to know ourselves as well. Sometimes, when there is misunderstanding, one of the common teachings in the East, not only found in the uh, uh, Buddhist tradition, but found in Eastern traditions uh, as, as well, and sometimes in um, uh, mystical uh, uh, traditions elsewhere, is the way of relating to and understanding of bodily life, of the whole thing of what it is to be in this world, in terms of physically, organically, who and uh, what we are. And of course, if we do um, give care to awareness, to uh, bodily life, we see how much of that is such that how much of our sense of ourself, who I am, what I am, is around the way that we interpret ourselves physically. And sometimes we make the tragic error of looking in the mirror first thing in the morning and then upon what's perceived in the very beginning of the day it has the disastrous effect of ruining the rest of one's day. And it's not only the various uh, shape of the, uh, uh, the, the face or whatever it might be that we're focusing on, but um, obviously the mind's interpretation. And in a culture uh, like ours, where there's an obsessive concern with appearances there, how easily we identify with that and we're constantly comparing, judging and assessing uh, ourselves with regard to the past or with regard to what the future will be or with regard to or in relationship to others. And it, we, we tyrannise ourselves with, with, with it. And it's all based often on a matter of um, how many lines are running around the face or um, what colour the hair is or uh, a few odd centimetres hither and thither around various parts of the body. And a whole sense of well-being and contentment and peace and mind is based on the mind's extraordinary capacity for measurement. And in this measurement that goes on, we can make a nightmare of our life. Where did all that come from? Has it come from looking on the shelves of magazines? Has it come from this identification through this relentless assault upon us, through uh, advertising and um, media? Has it come from... Uh, um, uh, Hollywood 
and um, various other victims of opulence, where does it all come from? That something has gone on to such a degree and intensity that we hardly know who we are. We're hardly in touch with organic life in terms of physical, bare attention to the bare experience of being alive, body being present. And what we are in touch with is what the interpretation is, what the image is, what the picture is, what the storyline is, what the interpretation is. The fact, oh, miles away, miles away from it. Because all that we see is what we interpret. We don't connect with the physical, the organic, etc. And the teachings have said, a primary foundation of awareness in life is of and connection with, is of bodily life, of itself. That doesn't detract in any way from beauty, from um, health, from uh, appreciation of uh, energy and vitality, etc., etc. All of that, of course, one can keep uh, associated and in touch with. But there's the world of difference for that kind of appreciation. And when we get alienated and disassociated and we just think about appearance. How we appear to ourselves, how we appear to others. And the appearance has little to do with just eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, vibrations, organic life as it unfolds between the two polarities of birth and death. And in the Eastern uh, teachings, it's said quite frequently, and those of you who have uh, read uh, books on Eastern teachings, etc., quite often the refrain gets used, it seems to be quite appropriate, of I am not the body. I am not the body. And in the foundations of awareness there, it is that clarity of awareness to see, without any alienation, Far from it, in fact, just to see body as body. To see organic life or the organic life. To see physical existence or the vibration of physical existence. Just as that. One is connected, receptive, uh, in touch with, it's present, one acknowledges it, but there isn't this kind of intense investment in it as this is who I am. This is what I am. Yet, there's an acknowledgement of it with its care and its presence. If that's un- misunderstood, misunderstood, then easily gives rise and lends itself to this kind of cult view in which they also use the same language. I am not the body. But then it goes a step further. I am just a temporary tenant of it. I, then it goes a step further. I am just a visitor. And now the comet has come, it's time to um, leave this earthly physical body and go to our home, wherever it may be. It's taking a viewpoint, how easy human beings do this, which initially is to help us understand bodily life as bodily life, not to live in, therefore, in so much fear, so much worry about ageing, not to live in so much fear of death, because we understand bodily life as bodily life. But if we misunderstand it, how easily it can lead to that kind of alienation 
in the example that I just uh, referred to. We are not tenants in this body. There is bodily life. There is inner life taking place, but to posit oneself as a tenant has that kind of inkling to me, anyway, that I'm a tenant in the body, then the landlord (laughs) might boot me out, or I evict myself. I'm not quite so sure if it's quite appropriate to put the corporate world into the language of heart, mind and body. Some like to do that, but uh, it's not my cup of tea. But here we are, that we can say. And here is the awareness which we can bring, and this awareness we can bring to bodily life in a sensitive, respectful, uh, connected way, and as I say, watching the ego in its relationship to body. If we don't watch it, good luck. We will be painful. Changes in the body will be painful for heart and mind. Changes in health, ageing will be uh, difficult. The, the arising of hereditary, genetic, social, environmental, dietary, emotional, etc. impact, which can affect the body so much and so easily if we're clinging and holding and possessive and therefore a certain loss of awareness and respect for the body will suffer. We will suffer. That is hard truth of hard truth of things. So presence and that uh, one of those founding principles as I said of awareness to body is learning to be in touch with it from day to day, hour to hour, learning to be wise and skillful in relationship to it. And the nature of bodily life, organic life, can flow much more easily and, and free, freely. We understand it, we can accommodate organic life and we recognize its wonder and its mystery. And it is. Just to, just to sit. Just, just to sit. Just, it's a wonder. Just to be able to be alive and be human and be on this earth and to see the flowers, to feel the, the, the touch of the warmth of the cheeks on the, on, on the day, to listen to the crows up there in the trees reminding us hour by hour to be here and now, be here and now, and uh, etc. And to observe them as well as one person pointed out. There they are living up there in the top of those trees and sometimes they are just not good neighbours. They fly from one nest to the other and start yelling and screaming at the neighbour for some reason or, or other, etc. All life is up there. And one sometimes feels that closeness and connectedness with just every day in the ordinary. We're most receptive when we're, when we're not so self-obsessing. When we're not self-obsessing, we can feel, sense, see, appreciate, recognize, acknowledge so much more. But if when we're self-obsessing, we, we can't pick up anything. We can't feel, sense, notice, observe, connect with, acknowledge anything because we're stuck in self-obsessing. Such a, such a price we pay. 
it may well be, as some of you were reporting in the small groups today, that the uh, awareness and uh, presence to the here and now seem to be occasionally um, very few and far between and when one's been in the meditation hall here or engaged in walking that there seems to be very little contact, communication with the, the sitting and the walking and mine may have been uh, chattering uh, quite a lot and in its uh, 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 chatter one of course sharing one's existence with the crows in a way and in that uh, chatter then sometimes the mind does come back uh, to the moment this is what's called um, a, a miracle here and, but then it comes back to the moment and then out of the moment the thought arises oh my god how long is this sitting going to go on for and sometimes everywhere else on earth will seem distinctly more pleasant than Gaia House it seems rather unusual because it looks rather pleasant, I would have thought, on a, a day, day like this. And yet, there may be some unpleasant sensations occurring in the body. There may be um, some irritation with somebody else who is here. Um, maybe lots of factors. And unfortunately, coming back to the moment, it feels unpleasant for one reason or another and then there is a rapid withdrawal from it as though we just get a little close to some heat and we withdraw from it and we forget in life that with the unpleasant forms of heat in life that we have to get a little closer to put the fire out and so it's not easy to hang in and to stay steady with just sitting, just walking, just being present knowing at times that it's uncomfortable, unpleasant, unpainful, unwel- unwelcome, unwanted, it's un-everything. And yet, we're saying, this is it. This is it. And all the uns about it doesn't make a scrap of difference. This is it. And it's, again, it's an act of faith, an act of uh, trust to keep faith with it. Keep faith with awareness, with the moment, with the body, with presence, to keep faith with it. Just nearby here, there's um, a place called Sharpham College. <coughs> Rather grand-sounding title, there are only 12 students. And it's a residential place which is giving Dharma teachings for a year and... Um, uh, and a, a number of teachers, I was just about to say, and some very good teachers are there, but I, sh- I shouldn't say that because Christopher's one of them. But um, I had a meeting the other day with um, you know, some class, we have some classes, and then we have a rather fancy university word called tutorials. I, having been one of those who uh, uh, left school at the age of 15, I wasn't quite sure what the word tutorial meant, I had to look up in the dictionary. But after finding out the meeting, apparently it's those of you also who um, missed education, it's a, a one-to-one, what we call a one-to-one, our inter 
hyphen view, that's what I like, interview. And so I was discussing one of the passages of the text with uh, one of the students, uh, Shaila, over there. And in the very old uh, text, the Buddha is speaking about ways of looking at views and opinions and rites and rituals and ceremonies. And there was what I thought, you may agree or disagree with him, but I thought it was a a gem of a a perception and an insight. Uh, uh, He spoke of, in this case, in religious life, as some of you will know, there is a tremendous attraction towards rituals. Buddhism, like many other religions, um, has had a long-standing love affair with them. And rituals showing itself in terms of um, uh, flowers, incense and candles, showing itself in um, hierarchical uh, structures, worship of uh, uh, gurus, uh, uh, deities, and generally a lot more um, entertainment behind than what you'll ever get in a place like Gaia House in terms of images, etc. Though they are creeping in fungus-like, we notice, into Gaia House and I have to take some responsibility. But the Buddha said, and the the teachings often will point out, not being attached to them, not clinging to them, not identifying oneself around all of these things. But then he makes a very pointed and beautiful one-line, one, I thought, one-line statement. He said, with regard to rituals and ceremonies and uh, all of that, he said, he doesn't trust them. Strong language, but he was prone to using it. He said, he doesn't trust them because they are not conducive to liberation. I said to myself, Harry on. <laughs> wonderful doesn't trust them because they're not conducive to liberation and those of us who were brought up in a church whatever and went uh, religiously to services as some of us did as I did every Sunday to my early twenties and others of you may have done some point may have realised that but it just wasn't conducive to an enlightened life wasn't conducive to liberation. And so finding out what is must come, the bottom line for that of course, has to be very, very importantly and very essentially through your experience. Through your your experience. What contributes to really awakening the heart and mind? What contributes to really enlightening one's existence? What contributes to finding a liberation in which the impact of birth, change and death has faded away into a secondary matter of existence. What's conducive to that? So teachings and practices uh, hopefully are a contribution uh, to that, to finding out uh, what that, that is. And so one is saying, I'm saying, but you must see, hopefully through your experience, that maybe bringing some light of awareness to circumstances, that capacity and quality that you and I have to bring light to things, to shed light on things, may help to provide and be the raw material for insight. 
even just today, just in the the world of silence and sitting and walking, even just today, hopefully some light has been shed on some of one's patterns. Hopefully, in the silence today, one or two things you are seeing, and I am seeing, that bit more clearly. As one person said, she spends so much time um, in her head. Another person speaking, spending so much time in planning. Another person speaking so much time in just being caught up in one thought after another. Or whatever. Just to be much as, we- as much aware of that as we possibly can. So that our existence doesn't get confined to living with a planning mind. It doesn't get restricted and defined by spending so much time in thought, the rest of creation, the rest of existence is kind of peripheral and secondary to our thinking. And so it's easy to say to ourselves and to preach to others, oh, be aware more, think less. And we can easily make a, uh, a very saleable mantra uh, out of uh, such. But it's not just by checking out these uh, glib one-liners that consciousness changes. Consciousness changes for one or two essential reasons. One is practice, and the other is insight. And hopefully the practice and the insight have a relationship together. There are some people, all credit to them, no practice but lots of insight. Not easy to find in this world that we live in, but there are people, no practice, but actually have a lot of insight and wonderful to meet with and associate with. And there are people, there are people who have plenty of practice and unfortunately not much. <laughs> but anyway, I, I won't labour that point, not here anyway. But you might be on the taxi to Newton Abbott tomorrow morning. And hopefully there are those who are engaging in practice and the practice will contribute to some genuine clarity and genuine insight. And one feels the actual living benefit of it, real benefit of it. So that, as I say, bringing light to bear even on things which are decidedly unpleasant as much as you and I can appreciate and acknowledge what it means to bring light to bear on what we appreciate and and what we love. Both matter equally, since both keep showing themselves, the pleasant and the unpleasant, often frequency in this world. So when speaking of foundations of awareness, speaking of uh, body, as I referred to earlier, speaking of uh, states of mind, and and all of that, as I said, refers in a way to the, you might call it the inner, one might call it the personal, oneself, whatever language one may wish to use. But there is also and equally important, that awareness which generates to the outer. And the outer, exposing itself as it does to our eyes, our ears, our nose, tongue and touch, 
when this raw sense data comes through any of the five sense doors, it lands somewhere. Where does it land? <laughs> it lands in within. It lands in the mind, it lands in the feelings, in the perceptions, in the emotions, in the thoughts, or whatever. Not all of it. There's a tremendous amount of the millions and millions of contacts that we make. You think how much we make through all the senses every day. And out of all that's touching upon us, some of it will matter a little bit more. What matter, may matter a lot for one person, and they, what they see, doesn't raise a thought for somebody else. Those eyes, two sets of eyes, see the same. One makes a tremendous fuss and issue about it, and the other doesn't even notice. Why? Nothing much to do with the outer. Much more to do with how the person is at a particular time. In that contact, where there is an interest in, let's say it's in its present form, generally speaking, where there is an interest in, there is often the wish for perpetuation and continuity of connection with. Something's very pleasant, one wants it to continue, generally speaking. And in its uh, continuity, the pleasant feeling arises, but if there isn't wisdom and if there isn't clarity, heaven can become hell. What was lovable and so agreeable becomes utterly unlovable and completely disagreeable. What happened in the passages of time of awareness going outer with appreciation that it ends up so difficult and painful. What happened? Sometimes it's almost gradual. What isn't being seen? You know, a person can't say, oh well, uh, it got very difficult and very painful in this job or in this relationship or in this retreat or whatever the view might be, uh, be about. Well, a person can't say, well, I chose to ignore. How could one choose to ignore? You know, is that like, one could choose to ignore? Or is it that there simply wasn't that development and evolution or cultivation or, or whatever of awareness in life? Because I think if we had a quality of awareness, I suspect we would pick up things much more quickly than what we do. That if we're aware, we'll appreciate the pleasant and the benefits. And we'll know and be able to acknowledge without fear and worry and withdrawal the signals of what's unpleasant or unsatisfactory. Because we're not ignoring, we're bringing awareness to bear to a situation and keeping ourselves hopefully, centred and grounded in that. So, principles of awareness, the practices of uh, awareness for a liberated and enlightened life, in a way, spring from the here and now, and the light of that awareness 
may be necessarily directed primarily at times to bringing light to ourselves and sometimes bringing also, of course, uh, light to what we see around us with which we had some connection or association. That awareness matters. If we don't bring awareness and observation and mindfulness and consciousness to things, we are going to be relying very much on upon our habits, our patterns, our conditioning, our personal history to decide totally what the reality is. Oh. Nightmare. Nightmare. Using the past, which is dead and finished, to interpret the present, which is alive and unfinished. So, as I say, we bring consciousness to bear, that bring attention and awareness to bear, that might well, and often does, of course, include some of the old patterns. Noticing them with vigilance, learning to see with them, be with them, let them go, work with them, all the things that we'll be speaking to you about over the days uh, here, so that we find the wisdom and the skills in dealing with situations. Body, states of mind, awareness of the inner to the outer, this is the matter of our our life. May all beings live in peace. May all beings live in harmony. May all beings live with wisdom. So let's have two or three minutes of uh, silence together, shall we please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.